the individual investor show. You bought it all, don't you? Share one thing, they all need money. Now let's see if they're brave enough to earn it. Welcome to the Individual Investor Show. My name is Jenna Brashear, your host for this evening. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you all had a wonderful week. As you all know, today is Groundhog's Day. However, unfortunately, Punxsutawney Phil can only give us a prediction on how long winter will last, not a prediction on how the stock market will weather in the next few months. And as Bill Murray puts it in Groundhog's Day, you want a prediction about the weather? You're asking the wrong Phil. I'm going to give you a prediction about this winter. It's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you for the rest of your lives. So with that, everyone in the Midwest, make sure to bundle up and keep a close eye on those investments. And as always, we are excited to bring you yet another II show. Tonight's event is the Individual Investor Show, Is It a Fab or Fad Fund? I dare you to say that three times fast. And I want to preface tonight's presentation by reminding our viewers that AAII is a nonprofit educational group and is not a financial advisor, and thus is not able to give personal advice. Every investor is different. That's why our goal with each broadcast and article is to educate you on how to make better financial decisions. For this week's show, we sit down with Charles Rothblatt to delve into our annual mutual fund and ETF guides to share which funds made the 2022 cut. We'll analyze the top as well as the worst performing mutual funds and ETFs, specific trends we've recently noticed, and anything new or noteworthy about the funds themselves. So in this session, we'll also discuss the various criteria Rapplet uses to weed out the fads from the fabs. And in the second part of tonight's broadcast, we chat with Matt Bajkowski on his article, The Benefits and Risks of Small Cap Funds, which highlights the good, the bad, and the ugly of diversifying your portfolio with small cap funds. You won't want to miss out on these two thought-provoking discussions covering everything you need to know about investing in mutual funds and ETFs in 2022. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy our presentation. Hello, Charles. Thanks so much for making the time to chat with me today about AAII's annual mutual fund and ETF guide that members can find in the February issue of the AAII Journal. It's my pleasure, Jenna. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, this issue covers so much. Uh, so I wanted to delve into as much as possible as we could today to showcase this month's publication. Sounds great. Awesome. So um, my first question is, um, in the PRISM Academy, um, in step two, we focus on AAII's allocation models and strategies. Um, how do mutual funds and ETFs help investors diversify their portfolio? Well, they help investors diversify in two manners. One, if you look at the mutual fund categories or ETF categories, you can find investments to fill the specific hole in your allocation you're trying to patch. So if you need, say, large cap growth stocks, or perhaps you need emerging market stocks, or perhaps you have a, you want intermediate term bonds, or you know perhaps you have something outside our allocation models, such as preferred stocks or real estate investment trusts, you can find a fund, either be it a mutual fund or an ETF that gives you that exposure. So it does it that way. Uh, the other thing is both are basically managed portfolios. Uh, with a mutual fund, uh, you're buying directly into a pool of investment assets. Uh, with an ETF, you're buying shares of a portfolio of different stocks or, you know, with either mutual funds or mutual funds or ETFs, you might be buying a portfolio full of stocks, it might be a portfolio full of bonds. Uh, in the case of commodities, it could be a portfolio, a portfolio full of uh, futures contracts. Um, and so the nice thing is you're actually buying, you're getting exposure to specific assets, but you're also then 
gain additional diversification and that you're not just buying one security, you're actually buying a pool of securities. Uh, so it's basically almost one-stop shopping to fulfill your allocation needs. Makes sense. And um, in step three, as we, you know, we just debuted uh, last Thursday of the Prism Academy, we discuss uh, types of accounts and how deciding who manages your portfolio will actually determine whether you invest in individual securities versus funds. Um, so what can investors learn from reading the mutual fund and ETF guide? Well, one of the things when they look at it, they need to think about what their preferences are. Are they an index investor? Um, you believe in John Bogle, you want just track the indexes. In our mutual fund guide and ETF guide, we tell you which funds are indexed and which are actively managed. Now, of course, if you have a preference that you want active managers, you can use both guides to see that too. So it really comes down to your preference. Do you want to use index funds or do you want to use actively managed funds? But the other thing, when you walk through the present process, we do ask you to consider your constraints. So maybe you're someone who loves to handpick your stocks. Uh, but you're in a 401k or you're investing in a 529 uh, where you have constraints or perhaps even your job places constraints and requires you to only invest in ETFs or mutual funds. So you can use our guides, again, to take your allocation and find funds that are correct for you. Uh, but the other thing, as I said, if you have a preference for active management or index funds, or perhaps you, have, you want a mixture of both, perhaps you think index funds is the way to go on the stock side, but on the bond side, given the current interest rate, maybe you do want an active investor. So it's very easy to see in our guides, which is actively managed, which, which is passively managed, so you can make those decisions uh, and pick the right fund for both your allocation needs, uh, but for also your investment management preferences. That makes sense. And, um, you know, as we delve into the guide itself, um, when, cause you know, you, you've spent a lot of time, you know, put, putting together all the mutual funds and ETFs and all that were top performing. Um, were there any surprises that you found when compiling the guide? Well, one thing that's always interesting, we look to see what's doing well. And so, uh, you know, one of the things we we found this year, we saw commodity stocks, particularly on the ETF side, doing well, commodity related ETFs, uh, on the mutual fund side, we saw small cap value. Um, and we also saw real estate. Now, the difference is it's always interesting to see what, if there's actually a difference between the top performing ETFs and the top performing mutual funds, uh, because by and large, the categories should be the same. And the reason we do see differences is just depending on what each is focusing on. So in ETFs, you're more likely to see more commodity-oriented ETFs, perhaps you're doing, because there's more index-oriented uh, ETFs, you tend to see more trading. Uh, and a lot of institutional investors like to have use ETFs because it's very easy to get in and out of. With an ETF, you can trade it just like a stock uh, throughout the trading day. So if you want to take a tactical allocation, you know what? I want to be exposed to, say, oil, for instance. I want to be exposed for it for, you know, X period of days or as long as my chart says expose, ex gives me exposure to it. Then you can use ETFs really easily for it. Uh, mutual funds, by and large, the majority of buyers, in fact, I should really say most buyers of mutual funds are individual investors, um, and they tend to have a longer investing time horizon. So that's where mutual funds, you're only buying them at the end of the day. And so you can't get in and out of them as easily. Uh, but for a mutual fund investor, a long-term investor who's looking at pulling funds for say a year, three years, five years, 10 years, whatever the time horizon is, Mutual funds works fine. It's fine to buy at the end of the day. You're not trying to actively trade it. So 
there is that difference between the two where ETFs are more catered towards tactical investing. Mutual funds are more oriented towards long-term investing, but that doesn't mean you can't get tactical with mutual funds where you can't necessarily, perhaps you want to get in and out in a shorter period of time. Uh, say you want to get in, with a matter, in and out with a matter of weeks. Or in the case of the ETFs, maybe you want to buy ETF um, and you just intend to hold the thing for 10, 15 years, whatever that you can do. Uh, but we do see the shift and that leads us to occasionally seeing differences uh, in the top performers for each, even though if someone were just take a bird's eye view, the natural expectations would be to see a high level of similarity between what's doing well on the ETF side and what's doing well on the mutual fund side. And to delve into a little bit of the criteria, what does AEII look at uh, when, uh, when putting together this annual performance uh, guide? That's a great question. So we one of the th key things we look at is size. Uh, and we want to make sure that the ETFs are of a minimum size, generally about $100 million in assets. Uh, the reason why is below that number, uh, ETFs often don't seem to survive. Now, it's not a hard line in the sand. Um, you do see exceptions, but by and large, and I talk about this in my editor's notes uh, for the February issue, there's economies of scale. So the ETF and the mutual funds are charging a certain percentage of assets invested. Um, and so what that percentage is, it's basically that percentage times the size of the amount invested. So very simple uh, uh, example. So you save an ETF and it has $1 million in assets and it's charging an expense ratio of 1%. Uh, well, that, that com comes out to an annual revenue of, of $10,000 per year, 1% times a million dollars. I'm doing the math off the top of my head. But keep in mind, this $10,000, that's got to cover all the management, all the regulatory expenses, uh, any marketing and promotion of the ETF, um, all that's got to pay for it. So there are costs embedded. And so for an ETF or for a mutual fund, they need to be of a certain size just to make it worthwhile uh, for the sponsor family to keep that fund going. Um, for mutual funds, we also look at size because that tends to be the funds most investors are interested in. And it's it's higher for mutual funds than it is for ETFs because mutual funds have been around longer. Uh, there's more money invested in mutual funds. So even though you hear about growth in ETFs, ETFs are really small compared to mutual funds, both in terms of number and the amount of assets managed. So we look at that. Uh, we do pay attention to performance. Uh, we generally for ETFs want a, a history of at least three to five years. Uh, we might make some exception. Uh, for mutual funds, we do tend to look for more outperformance. Uh, but both in the case of ETFs and mutual funds, if it's a fund that we have a considerable size, we might put it in there, even if the performance has been uh, -uh uh, simply because we think there still will be a lot of interest in those uh, in terms of people holding it or wanting to know how that particular fund is performing. That's really good to know. And you touched on this a little bit before um, when I asked you about surprises, um, but what kinds of industries um, came out on top for mutual funds specifically? Yes, yeah, so for mutual funds, we saw more real estate funds. We saw more small cap value. Um, and small cap value did really well last year. Uh, but it's interesting when you look at the mutual fund side for small cap value, you have a pretty good selection. Uh, but when you get to the ETF side, there aren't that many small cap value funds. So this is a case where if you want to target certain categories, 
um, sometimes it does make more sense to choose one or the other. So I do get asked, which is better, mutual fund or ETF? Uh, the answer is both are good, but it depends on what you're trying to do. So ETFs, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for commodities, there's more selection, there's more choices for commodities. Uh, but when you're looking at mutual funds for certain areas, such as small cap value, you are going to find more choices al along uh, the mutual funds. And you can actually find mutual funds that might go smaller. Now, keep in mind, you still might prefer having index, index management versus active management, passive versus index. Now, passive versus active, excuse me. Um, in that case, for passive, you may want to look at the ETF side, but by and large, when we look at an area like small cap value, you are going to find most of your choice among the mutual fund side, which is why we saw more small cap value mutual funds popping up on the top performers than we did on the ETF side. And as we transition over to talking about the ETF guide, uh, which types of ETFs came out on top last year and why do you think this is? You know, as I said, it's it commodity ETFs. And I think because two things, one commodities did really well. Uh, we're in an environment where inflation was high, uh, commodity prices were elevated, uh, you know, the world was re was reopening. Um, as everyone knows, all sorts of supply issues. Um, simple economics says when demand outstrips supply, prices rise. Um, in, a case, in the case of commodities, the prices are very elastic, meaning they do move in reaction to demand. Um, so you have rising commodity prices. At the same time, um, we did have a lot of ETFs that just happened to focus on commodities. So that combination was a great mix to see a lot of commodities ETFs appear on the list of the top performers. And um, in the ETF guide, uh, we found that crypto funds, um, even though they are very new and um, they you performed you know, pretty strong though, uh, do you have any comments on the specific finding? Yeah, so uh, cryptocurrencies generally did pretty well, uh, whether we're talking about Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ether, uh, but it's worth noting right now, there isn't a ETF out there that specifically holds cryptocurrencies. Um, the new ETF, Bido, got announced last year. It's not our guide because it's so new. Um, it got a lot of fanfare because it was investing in futures contracts. In futures contracts, basically, you're agreeing to pay X price if the underlying asset reaches Y price by a certain date. So you're not actually buying cryptocurrencies, you're buying a fund that holds contracts to buy a cryptocurrency. Um, some of the other ETFs, uh, one of the ETFs, the Grayscale holds a trust. So you're actually buying shares on a trust that then holds say Bitcoin. So you're not investing directly in Bitcoin, you're investing in a trust that then holds Bitcoin. So you're two steps, so you're actually instead of direct investing directly in the crypto asset, you're actually investing in a vehicle that gives you exposure to the crypto asset. So the further away you get, the more detached the price might be. In the case of this Bitcoin trust, you do see times where this might, this actually trades any price different than the value of the Bitcoin within the trust. So you're not exactly getting that price. Um, and so it's always important for people to understand what exactly they're investing in. Um, and I would, just like you would never judge a book by its cover, never judge an ETF or a mutual fund by its name. Go look at the fact sheet, go look at the prospectus, look at the list of portfolio holdings and see what the ETF or mutual funds are actually investing in. Do that little bit of research. If you can't quite figure out what it's doing, walk away. 
If it's not what you thought it would was going to invest in, walk away because it's not the right fund for you. And keep in mind with crypto assets, it is easy to get direct exposure if you should choose. Um, the caveat, of course, is you'd have to open a, usually a separate account uh, with a company, say like PayPal, Venmo, uh, Coinbase, and certainly there's other ones. So with obviously with ETFs, you get the exposure through the ETF in your brokerage account versus getting direct exposure requires you to set up a separate account, which may or may not be appealing to people. Um, but again, it's just really important to be clear about what you're actually buying and not making assumptions just based on the name. That makes sense. And, you know, that could be misleading to anybody who's interested in do, you know, investing in cryptocurrencies and not sure, you know, how to really get involved. So it's good to know that the fund isn't a direct that and there's other ways that you can um, invest uh, directly into that those kind of companies. Absolutely. And um, last, lastly, for the ETF guide, I did want to ask um, about the Vanguard and iShares um, that uh, you guys reported um, in the guide, and uh, they continue to be largest uh, the largest players in the ETF space. What does this say about the market, and uh, why do you think this is the case? Yeah, it's interesting because we are seeing the, the share of the, of the ETF universe that's controlled by Vanguard and iShares. We're seeing that slowly, slowly shrink, but Vanguard and iShares are the largest funds and the largest fund families. Now, when you look at the list of the largest ETFs, uh, the State Street Spiders, SPY, uh, is the original ETF. It actually tracks the S&P 500. That was the first one. And so that's still the largest ETF. But when you look at the amount of assets controlled by actual fund families, State Street, even though it was the first, actually lags behind Vanguard and iShares. And because Vanguard iShares are so large, it has an impact on the overall ETF market. So Vanguard has actually a total market fund. Um, Vanguard has an ETF and a mutual fund combined. Uh, the Wall Street Journal described it as a fund at Wall Street because it is the largest mutual fund. Uh, and Vanguard's unique. I just want to do this quick aside here that Vanguard is unique in that when you buy an ETF or you buy a mutual fund, you're buying into the same pool of assets as a single fund with different share classes. Most companies have an ETF that's separate from the mutual fund. So Vanguard's a little different, but Vanguard and iShares are the largest. And more importantly, they also control the market share for most of your mainstream indexes. So your funds that track the S&P 500, your funds that track the Russell indexes, the, the Russell 1000, the Russell 2000, um, your bond indexes, such as the Barclay indexes, those major indexes, which giving you the more market cap weighted exposure on your traditional indexes, those are controlled by Vanguard and iShares. So what that does is because they hold this massive share of those traditional indexes, it forces everyone else to kind of go off the side and go after everything else. So you tend to see more niche ETFs and more niche strategies and more specific strategies among everyone else because they're trying to figure out how to fight for the rest of that pie, the rest of that market share pie. Um, the other thing we're actually seeing, and I wrote about it in my editor's note, um, is we're seeing more active uh, managers get involved in the ETF space. Companies like Putnam, uh, Nuveen, uh, DFA Advisors. And so they're trying to take market share by actually having actively managed ETFs. Now, it's still a very small share of the ETF pie. Um, and again, that also reflects the, the fact that most of your mainstream strategies, most of your mainstream index strategies that people are most are familiar with are really controlled by iShares and Vanguard and a little bit by State Street and a little bit by Invesco, but it's primarily Vanguard and iShares. So 
you do see almost see this barbell type side uh, where you have Vanguard and iShares controlling the big mainstream parts of it. Maybe a few, you know, scattered ones in the middle, but then everyone else is on the other side with these more specialized strategies, all trying to uh, fight for their share of the ETF asset universe. And my next question has about is two parts kind of. Um, so where can um, AAII members find more information about mutual funds and ETFs on the AAI website? And then how do they also use this data to invest in confidence uh, in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a few areas where members can find uh, information and tools about mutual funds. First of all, our guides, if they just go to the, click on the journal link right now, our AI.com slash journal, they'll get access right to our February issue, which has access to our guides. Uh, they can also access our guides at any time by simply clicking on investing ideas and then either clicking on mutual funds or ETFs. Our guides online are updated monthly. So all approximately 2,800 ETFs and about 24,000 mutual funds, uh, that data gets updated monthly. So in the print edition of the, of the journal, Obviously, because it's print, we can't change it. We use end of year data for it. Uh, but online, that data is updated every month. Now, if someone has a specific ETF or say a specific mutual fund they want to look at, they can just use the search box, the search box on the top of AAI.com. Just type in the ticker, type in the name. That will call it the appropriate mutual fund evaluator or the ETF evaluator. Um, and it's a really helpful page. It gives you, shows you performance. It gives you grades on the performance. So our grades run from A to F. Um, just like in schools, A's will make your parents smile. F's will get you grounded. Um, we, our grades are actually ranked from best to worst. So A's and B's reflect the top 20 and 40% for a given criteria, whether it's returns, um, risk rating for expense ratio. The lower the expense ratio, the higher the grade. They can find that. They can find a description about the about the fund. So a lot of information on those evaluator pages. Um, in our investing ideas page, we also have a mutual fund and ETF compare tool. And this is really hand, handy because it allows investors to compare two or more mutual funds, or two more ETFs side by side, uh, looking at key things such as performance, such as expense ratios. Um, so if they're trying to choose between one or the other, they can quickly do a quick look down and see at the grades, see the actual numbers and decide, is one ETF or one mutual fund better than the other one they're looking at? Um, and, and finally, I encourage our members to use the My Portfolio tool. Um, they'll be able to track the grades and information about their mutual funds and their ETFs. Um, also track the price performance on, the, on those ETFs and mutual funds they own. Um, as well as you can create a watch list or separate portfolio for those that you're interested in, for those you want to keep an eye on. Um, and we do have a note section. So if you want to jot down a little note why you're tracking it or what you're watching out for, um, you can keep it all there. And that all that's included uh, with AAI membership. And AAII has so many tools for um, investors to take advantage of. And um, But I just wanted to ask you, are there any uh, favorites or anything, any new benefits that you'd like to highlight? You mentioned quite a few, so anything yeah. outlying? Sure, no, obviously I really love our ETF compare tool and mutual fund compare tool. That's why I think is, uh, I, I think I'll, I'll use our marketing director Pete's uh, term hidden gem, but uh, you know, it's a really helpful tool. I think we're trying to make some decisions on it. I will also point out um, on our mutual fund guides and our ETF guides online, you can download a spreadsheet with all the data 
Um, and I know some members do, they like to download the spreadsheets, manipulate the data, uh, sort things the way they want to do comparisons. Um, and they can look at it from either uh, no loads or all, lo or all funds from mutual fund side. Uh, obviously ETFs, you don't have to worry about loads. Um, members who are A plus or platinum do have access to our ETF and mutual funds first cut screens. And these are pre-built screens, but also they have access to our mutual fund ETF screener. So if they have specific traits uh, they're desiring and say mutual fund or ETF, they can actually use our screeners to nail down a universe. Say they, for instance, they want, they're looking for large cap stocks. Uh, they want to have an ESG focus on it. They want to be no load. Um, and they want performance over the past one and three years to be above average. They can set those parameters um, and it'll find the funds uh, that match their criteria. So it's a really great way to drill down to it. And again, that's something that's included with A+. That's awesome because, you know, so many investors can really customize their experience based on their individual strategy, goals, tolerance, um, et cetera. So that's fantastic to hear about. Absolutely. And um, I, I just want to ask you a final question. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight from the mutual fund and ETF guide that I didn't ask you already? You know, I think one of the things I'll just point out that we've been doing these for uh, for many years. Our mutual fund guide, um, we've done, I think, for over uh, for over 40 years now. Um, our ETF guide, we've hit an anniversary on that too. And it's a really helpful guide. And I, as I said, I think I encourage people to use it. Um, if you're you know, investing in mutual funds, if you're investing in ETFs, even if you're happy with the funds you have, I think it's really helpful to just look at those and look at the category averages and see how your ETF or how your fund's comparing relative to the category averages. Uh, and I think it's really important with either to always look at the category averages because the performance, say, of an emerging markets stock fund is going to be different than the performance, say, of an intermediate term corporate bond fund or, say, a mid-cap value fund on the domestic side. So every ETF and every mutual fund's its performance is going to be dependent on the asset class or the asset class category and invest in. So when you're doing these comparisons, always make sure you're doing apples to apples, comparing a mutual fund or ETF against its peers versus another ETF or mutual fund that targets a different asset class because it's not really a fair comparison. Well, thank you so much, Charles. I appreciate your responses. And I, you know, I really delving into the mutual fund and ETF guide. I, I learned so much. That's great. I enjoyed it, Jenna. And I just wanted to let our uh, members know that um, if they'd like to check out the February issue of the AAII journal, um, they can visit aaii.com journal. And if they want to enroll in the Prism Academy, because we mentioned it at the beginning, um, which is free for all AAII members, um, then they can visit aaii.com slash learn and plan. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to thank you again for speaking with me today. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. You too. Thanks, Charles. Take care. Hello, Matt. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today about your article, The Benefits and Risks of Small Cap Funds. Hey, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I just want to preface a little bit. Um, our February 2022 AAII journal provides our members with key information about the top performing mutual funds and ETFs. Uh, so my first question for you is focused on understanding how you can take advantage of small cap funds while also being aware of potential risks. Uh, so the first one uh, is, let's start with some basics. What constitutes sure. a small cap fund? Yeah, so a small cap fund um, is gonna follow objectives and it's gonna set itself against a benchmark um, that represents, uh, if you're looking at it, 
just on a raw numbers basis, about 50% of uh, the number, 50% of the publicly traded uh, domestic companies. Uh, and these, so it's actually a large portion of the, the overall market um, equities wise that you could invest in. Um, but this part of the, the, these companies actually only account for about four to 5% um of the total market cap of uh domestic companies publicly traded so uh, a small cap fund is going to be looking at uh what accounts for, for a very small uh segment as far as valuation of the market um and those numbers i was just using those also include something we'll get into a bit later but micro caps which is uh kind of its own sub segment of um small cap uh stocks um, but a small cap fund, it's going to probably follow uh, a few well-known uh, small cap benchmarks. So that'll be uh, potentially the Russell 2000 index. Um, that's a, a subset of the Russell 3000, which is the largest um, 3000 company, companies on domestic exchanges. The 2000 is just excluding the largest 1000 of that group. And there's also the S&P small cap 600. Um, so a small cap fund is just looking at this specific segment um, of the stock market. And the stocks that they're focusing on uh, typically have capitalizations, market capitalizations below two, uh, $2 billion. Um, and for comparison, large caps usually are above about 10 billion and mid caps fall in between. Um, so yeah. And your article uh, focuses on the uh, overall benefits and risks of investing in small cap funds. So uh, do you mind uh, sharing it a little bit with us? Yeah. So the, the, the benefits are specifically for the small cap categories, um, deviation in, in performance from large caps. Um, since about the 80s, uh, financial academic research has noted um, something they call the small cap effect, uh, which is a, it's a noted performance anomaly for, for small cap stocks. Um, and it's an, an anomaly in relative to the, the market and, and large cap stocks. Uh, over the last hundred years, small cap stocks by a couple of percentage points have outperformed large caps, which over a hundred years, that couple percentage points makes, it's a big difference. Um, especially when you're looking at funds and you're considering expense ratios, you know, just the smallest little shavings here and there are, are a big deal. Um, so the, the, the benefit there is that um, you're, you're getting hopefully better long-term performance um, from small caps. And, you know, this performance is attributed to the, the higher risk of investing in smaller, um, you know, less followed companies. Um, you know, hopefully as an investor, you're being compensated um, for your, your patience in allowing a small cap uh, strategy to, to perform over a long term um, for a long term approach. Um, another benefit for small cap funds um, is it's a good space to engage in active management um, if you're interested in, uh, in investing with an active manager. Um, because, you know, small caps are, well, most fund management of small funds is active due to, um, the nature of the equities being invested in, 
Um, they require more research time, more decision making, um, and and it takes more control due to the lower volume that small caps normally trade at, small cap stocks normally trade at. Um, so that's actually, a, if you're looking for a more active strategy as opposed to a passive strategy, um, you'll have good reason to explore those with, with small cap stocks. Um, you know, as far as the cons, the cons are related to the constraints um, of the characteristics of a, of a small cap fund. Uh, so some of these characteristics um, include, you know, being less widely followed. Um, these small cap stocks are more volatile. Uh, they're less frequently traded and they're more prone to mispricing. Um, so, you know, these cons really pertain to um, fund management um, and, and I guess also managing your own personal investments. Um, you know, they're going to have long periods of underperformance compared to other market caps. Uh, they're going to have higher volatility within a given year, most likely. Um, and again, related to those characteristics, they tend to be smaller, the funds. Um, and so some funds will even close, uh, to meet certain objectives or styles for their fund, um, which is actually a good thing, uh, cause you don't really want a fund to be expanding or I guess expanding beyond its, its ability to trade within the small cap category. Um, but if you're a new investor, obviously that can be kind of frustrating. Um, and then I guess a related con to that would just be fees. Then if you're looking at active funds, um, you know, you're going to be also evaluating fees, which if you were looking at an index fund, um, you wouldn't be. And, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, that small cap uh, funds have done really well over the last, uh, you know, several years. And uh, so why do you think in the last year, small cap, stock, small cap stocks and funds uh, did so well? Is there any uh, key uh, aspects that uh, made that happen? Yeah, I think it's it's hard. You can't really point to a micro situation with companies, but I think the, the overall macro influence would be um, the, the correction that came in 2020 uh, during the pandemic, the, the first year of the pandemic. Um, there had been a long period of underperformance from, from small caps um, and also from other factors, um, including value. Um, so there was a long, long period of underperformance, uh, longer than in the past. And so there was kind of this tension waiting for um, a reversal um, because small caps and value stocks, um, they tend to sit towards the, the bottom um, of the market. And when there's a large correction, um, they very quickly rise. Um, and so that's, I think, that's really the large uh, economic kind of twist in the last year um, that has raised the performance of small caps. If you're looking, especially at their one year uh, return, um, still over, you know, the five year return, um, they're still down 
uh, compared to large caps. Sense and um, you know you you mentioned uh, micro cap stocks also or micro cap funds being also included. So what are the main differences between uh, small and micro cap funds? Yeah, so micro caps are the 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 kind of need for micro caps as a segment uh, kind of came following the the interest in small caps in the eighties um, because one of the what one of the characteristics being that small caps are less uh, frequently wide, less widely followed um, by the, the financial market. Um, once there was some attention paid to small caps, um, some of the, some of the, the benefits of what uh, investors could do um, in a market without large institutional investors uh, started to kind of erode. So there was a, a kind of a, almost a refocus on another even smaller segment of small cap stocks. Um, and these kind of became known as micro caps. It's kind of, you know, the inverse of what on the large cap side has kind of has come to be known as uh, mega caps. Um, you know, your companies that are close to a trillion and, and more in valuation. So micro caps are typically below about 600 million uh, in, my, in market cap. Um, and basically they just, exhibit the traits of a small cap stock even further. Um, so they're going to have, you know, again, less widely followed. It's going to be harder to trade. So they'll, they'll have smaller volume um, and it, they'll, it, they'll have inherently more risk um, because of these factors. Um, and so it, it, the same principles of investigating and researching and looking at a small cap stock apply to micro caps. Um, you know, you want to think long-term, watch for management risk, uh, keep your exposure modest, you know, be style conscious of the fund and then style, be conscious of any style drift with the fund. And then, you know, you want, especially one of the characteristics being low volume. If you're looking for a micro cap fund, um, you want to be, or small cap fund, you want to be especially conscious of their turnover rate. Um, being that it's such an illiquid market, you don't want your fund management to be passing on costs, tra large transaction costs um, to you as a shareholder. Um, and in your opinion, uh, what advice would you give an individual investor interested in entering the small cap or the micro cap fund universe? Yeah, so basically I just encapsulated it in those six points. Um, so the, the, the six key points you wanna think about when it comes to looking for either a small cap fund or a micro cap fund um, is one, you wanna think long-term. Um, as I noted, there was a long, recent long period of underperformance for, for small cap uh, stocks. Um, and you have to keep that in mind. And also with that, the higher um, volatility within a given year for a small cap stock, um, it's going to take a larger emotional toll because your, your portfolio is going to perhaps go up and down a bit more. Um, but you have to think, you should always be comparing long-term performance regardless for any fund, but you have to especially keep that in mind um, for, for a small cap investment. Um, and so that might take, you know, five years in a minimum, but, you know, probably longer looking at 10 years. Um, 
with with that then also number two is watch for for management risk um you could look at index funds um there are the benefits of those being uh lower expenses um so in this case that's kind of a decision to make with management risk um but for the actively traded uh small cap and micro cap funds, um, you want to consider the, the management risk because the, the management is so in, in, integral to how, how your performance um, will ultimately be. So there you're comparing it uh, to peers. Um, in the tables for the article in January, um, we included management tenure. Um, you know, that's a, a, I would say that expense ratio um, I mean, I guess all these factors are, 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 are pointing to the performance or ways to evaluate a fund's performance. But there you're just looking that um, if, if a fund and a management team is carrying a higher expense ratio, higher volatility, you know, are you being compensated with better performance? Um, and the, there's two other of my six points here are, you know, be style conscious and wary of style drift. Those apply to management risk as well. Um, you want to make sure that if you want to stay in small and micro cap funds, that a fund style, um, doesn't move outside the range, um, that we talked about with the market caps. Um, you, you can look at a fund's average market cap for that. I will say in the last couple of years, cause of the, the performance for small caps, um, a lot of funds have seen their average market cap kind of move outside that range, almost into mid caps. You know, that's a good thing, obviously for performance of assets. Um, but you know, that's something you have to be conscious of, of, of the size that you want to be invested in. Um, and so that's, that was number two, I guess four and, and five of, <laughs> of my six points uh, related to management risk. Um, the, the third one is keep your exposure modest. Um, so, you know, again, you're thinking long-term about these funds, but your exposure should only make up a, a perhaps 20% of your overall portfolio. Um, that's, how, I believe, how much it makes up in the aggressive AAII uh, asset allocation model. Um, and so, so that's, you know, within investing in small caps, if you're looking at a fund, you're already limiting your exposure um, because you're not investing in, in individual companies. Um, but again, just within your portfolio, small caps should only make up a, a, a small chunk. Um, and I guess the, the sixth point was uh, just beware of high turnover, which uh, actually is another part of management risk. So there, there's four points in total for management risk. Um, but yeah, the higher, higher turnover uh means the the management company is is being inefficient uh either in their decision making or just in their trading in general and because it's such an illiquid market um you're really gonna they're gonna create a lot of attention between their objective um and their activities which is going to be passed on in lower performance to you as an investor a lot of red flags that you should be aware of before you, you know, really, you know, put your money into something uh, like a, you know, an active fund. So it's good to do your own research. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and it's not, you know, the, 
I don't think the research is ultimately very difficult, but it does take um, just a little bit of knowledge um, in, in discernment. And um, you mentioned uh, index funds uh, a little bit while ago, and I just wanted, are there specific benefits of focusing in on small cap index funds versus other kinds of funds? Um, yeah, and, and particularly um, the best argument for an index fund um, is the costs of the illiquid uh, small cap market. Um, you know, with an index fund, you avoid having to pick a management, uh, a manager who could un underperform. Um, which, so basically that eliminates a good portion of the, the risk or the concern we have with those, those six points I brought up. Um, you shouldn't have to worry too much about turnover. Um, you shouldn't have to worry too much about style drift or being style conscious. Um, if a fund is looking at a benchmark, uh, if an index fund is looking at a benchmark, um, it should be relatively easy to evaluate it to its one, its benchmark, and then also its peers, because um, they should all be have they should all have similar objectives. Um, so really, it comes down to cost um, and having to deal with management risk. Um, and I looking at the tables from the article um, overall for each uh, small cap category blend growth and value um, the ETFs which tend to be um, tend to be passive uh, in this case a lot of them underperformed uh, it looks like which is interesting um, but again uh, with the index funds, you're probably having to consider less and make less decisive, uh, less, less, less decisions about what you're investing in. The index funds tend to be a little bit more um, for the investor who, you know, wants to set, you know, their money up and not have to check it every day or have to worry about certain, uh, you know, specific risks or, you know, maybe has a, uh, a risk tolerance of, you know, uh, something, you know, they, they might want to look into an index funds then. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm an index fund or uh, index ETFs. So it's yeah, it's a uh, the one, the ones I follow is just a way of being able to set it and forget about it. <laughs> you know, once a year look at it, right? Yeah, that's nice. That's nice, especially for people who you know want to focus on retirement or some like long term goal too as well. Right. And um, is there anything else you'd like to highlight from your article that I didn't mention previously? Um, no, no, I think we, we pretty much covered everything. The six, I think the six points were uh, probably the, the conclusive uh, point of the article. Great to know. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk with me, Matt. I really, I learned a lot about small cap funds that I didn't know previously. And I'm, I'm happy that, uh, you know, I was able to go over the article with you. Oh yeah, thanks for having me, Jen. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to let our, um, our members know that if they're interested in learning more about uh, how to diversify their pro portfolio with um, small cap funds or would like to check out the full AAII mutual fund guide uh, in, the, in the AAII uh, February journal, um, you can visit aaii.com slash journal. And yeah, I'd like to thank you again, and I hope you have a, re a wonderful rest of your evening, Matt. Thanks, you too. Awesome. Thanks.
And now for a message from our friends at Discover Bank. We know as individuals interested in building investor wealth, you never want your money to be idle. Even small dollar amounts for short amounts of time should be working for you. With that, we're pleased to share information from our partner Discover Bank on deposit accounts that keep your money moving. You can choose from several options to help you meet your short-term or long-term financial goals. The best part? All of the deposit accounts offer preferred member rates. Take a look. With Discover, you can earn over five times more interest than the national savings average with preferred member rates and pay no fees. That's no fees, period. Plus, no minimum balance is required. You can access your AAII member savings account with Discover Bank from your smartphone or tablet, so it's easy to keep your money moving in the right direction. Open an AAII online savings account to start saving for the future today. Visit aaii.discoverbank.com to learn more. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed tonight's broadcast. I want to thank Charles Rotflett and Matt Bachkowski for making time to chat with me today. Even though we can't predict the stock market like Puckstown and Phil predicts the weather, having resources like the Mutual Fund and ETF Guide, as well as articles focused on navigating the world of small cap funds, can really help us all become better individual investors. And as always, please remember to click the subscribe button if you'd like to be alerted of future II shows. You can always catch a replay of tonight's event on our YouTube channel and make sure to register for upcoming AAII events and webinars by visiting aaii.com webinars. And if you're an investor on the go and want us to catch the II show while driving or going for your daily walk, you can now follow us on Spotify. Also, you can view the full mutual fund and ETF guide in the February issue of the AAII journal by visiting aaii.com journal. And with that, we wish all of you viewing good health, good fortune, and a great evening. Thank you all and happy investing.